Let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of life you have given us in Christ Jesus. As we come to your word, let us be drawn ever closer by the gospel, moved and compelled by the gospel, living a life unto you. This we pray in Jesus' name, amen. For the past three weeks, we have been covering some fundamental aspects of what it means to be a Christian. The first week, we covered the gospel. To be a Christian is to know the gospel. And then we spent two weeks regarding what does it mean to be born again. All three of those topics deal with your salvation. And there's much more that can be said about the gospel, about being born again, regarding your salvation. For the sake of our ability to absorb, we're going to start to transition into this word called sanctification. Sanctification means being set apart, to be made holy. And we're going to start talking about and understanding sanctification by the topic of citizenship. Now, in America, as you know, there's last decade or more, there's been a lot of conversation about immigration and citizenship. What does it mean to be a naturalized citizen of the United States? Well, out of curiosity, I actually looked at one of the documents. And one of the documents has a section in here, and I'd like to read it to you. We are very pleased that you want to become a U.S. citizen. The United States is a nation of immigrants. Throughout our history, immigrants have come here seeking a better way and have been strengthened by our na- and, and have strengthened our nation in the process. For more than 200 years, the United States has remained strong, become strong of our citizens and our common civic values that we share. Deciding to become a U.S. citizen is one of the most important decisions in a person's life. When you are naturalized, you agree to accept all of the responsibilities of being a citizen. You agree to support the United States, its constitution, and its laws. In return, you are rewarded with all the rights and privileges that are part of citizenship. You start to read documents like this, and you have a sense of calling. I mean, these are well-written moving documents that call you into citizenship. And what I really liked here, it says, when you become a naturalized U.S. citizen, you have rights and privileges and responsibilities. In the same manner, when you are born again, when you become a new creature in Christ Jesus, you become a citizen now of heaven. You become a citizen of the gospel. And just as the call of citizenship to heaven through the gospel gives you rights, gives you privileges, which is eternal life in Christ Jesus, it also comes with responsibilities. To be a citizen of heaven is more than coming to church on a Sunday. As a citizen of heaven, we are called by the gospel to act in such a way as to glorify God, to be a light to others, even in the face of suffering. The call of citizenship through the gospel is not one of fear, is not one of burden, is actually one of joy. You have to remember, Paul is writing this 
from jail. So let's take a look at our path this morning. We are going to take a look at living a life worthy of the gospel, to be able to stand firm in the gospel and be prepared to suffer and be engaged for the gospel. This is our path this morning. So let's take a look and go to our text. Philippians chapter 1 verse 27 says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now a more literal reading of this is different. It says, Only continue to exercise your citizenship in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. That's a literal reading of the Greek text. To make sense of that, why would Paul write something like this? We have to understand a little bit about the city of Philippi. So Philippi was a Roman colony about 800 miles from Rome. But it wasn't just a city, it was a colony. And that meant something much different it was almost like a little Rome. So if you were a citizen of Philippi, you were a citizen of Rome, which meant that it came with certain rights and certain privileges. You had the right to, uh, you had legal rights for property. You were exempt from certain taxation. But in return for that citizenship, You must follow the rules of Rome. And part of that, as a Roman colony, they wanted to be a good Roman colony. So they had to follow all the rules of the emperor, not only the government, but the religion. And if you recall, if you were here with our series this past uh, summer, fall, when we talked about the seven churches in Revelation, emperor worship reigned supreme. And so if you were a citizen of Philippi, you must then worship the emperor. Paul's writing to this church now in the city of Philippi, to the Philippians. And he's reminding them that even though they are in Philippi, they have a different citizenship. They have a citizenship in heaven, granted by the very gospel. So he's reminding them that. And if you take a look at Philippians in chapter 3, he even makes this very clear. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. In essence, Paul is writing to the brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus, and thus to you and me, that we are to exercise our citizenship in a manner worthy of the gospel. If you are a citizen of heaven, you are to act like a citizen of heaven according to the very gospel. All of our actions, our thought, our word, indeed, should be in harmony with the gospel. You see, if you read Philippians in chapter 1 alone, he mentions the gospel six times. If it is such an important word being repeated, we should also, again, refresh ourselves. Well, what is the gospel? I know we covered that three weeks ago, but I also said there's no way we could ever mind that completely. So let us take a look again at the gospel itself. So what is the gospel? First of all, the gospel is the power of God. 
Romans chapter 1, verse 16. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. We have that up there on the wall. If you haven't looked at that for a little bit about growing bold, I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God. And we talked about being born again, right? Do you remember that? Being born again, an act of God, where God breathes life into a dead soul and fills the lungs of that soul with the gospel. So they gasp and say, my Lord and my God. This is the song we also sing, how great thou art, my God, how great thou art. That's the the life breath of the gospel right there. So the gospel is the very power of God. It is the righteousness of God. See, in the gospel, we don't become righteous. God gives us his righteousness. The fancy word he imputes, he declares us righteous and that we are righteous because we are covered with the very blood of Christ Jesus. So it is something precious that God has given us his righteousness. Romans chapter 1, verse 17, for in it, the gospel, right? For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. The gospel is the grace of God. And this is very hard for us to understand, to accept grace. Grace, something that we don't deserve. We don't deserve God's righteousness, do we? And yet he gives us. Though we are dead in our sin, he, in his grace, saves us. It is a grace greater than any one of our sins. What is the gospel? The gospel is eternal life with Christ Jesus. For God so loved the world, right? Say it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have lasting life. This is the life that we are given through the very gospel. And Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. The gospel is life and life everlasting. And finally, the gospel is the mercy and love of God. For this, I want to go to 1 John 1 John chapter 4, starting verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, If God so loved us, we ought to love one another. There's the gospel, and there's the message. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. See, the gospel message and living according to the gospel message is not another burden. It's not another law that's imposed on us to be a weight to be something that makes a soured face. No, it is one of love, of gratitude. When you are born again, the Holy Spirit sealed you, 
stamped your soul, so to speak, sealed you, and now you are a citizen of heaven, a citizen of the gospel in Christ Jesus. And as a citizen of heaven, you are to have one citizenship and one only, and that is of heaven. And herein lies the problem. Most people want dual citizenships. They want a citizenship of heaven and a citizenship of the world. And they only want to use the citizenship of heaven when it is convenient for them or to somehow just get them out of a jam. I understand today is a very special day, right? It's Super Bowl Sunday, isn't it? I guarantee you there are people throughout Christendom in America who have skipped church today because it will interfere with their Super Bowl festivities. Or that they might be angry that the church has gone longer than they expected because there are Super Bowl festivities. I guarantee that. And you have to ask, well, what citizenship do you have? Do you have a citizenship of heaven? Or are you trying to have a dual citizenship? When you're sealed by the blood of Christ, you're his. And you should be, everything should be, everything that you have should be his. Because it says, live your manner of life worthy of the gospel. Not just on Sunday, but your life, your entire life. So let me ask you a question. With your entire life, if people looked at your life right now, could they tell any difference between you and somebody who does not believe in Christ Jesus? Would there be any difference or would it just be all the same? See, you and I have a different identity And it is one given to us in the gospel, and we are to stand firm, united in the gospel. Let's go to our text going on. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, second part. So that whether I come to see you or am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So I'm going to ease us into this by uh, going back to 1980. How many of you remember the 1980 Olympic hockey team played the Russians? It was a very big thing in America, and they won. Now, they made a movie out of it. I don't know how many of you have seen the movie Miracle on Ice? Good movie. And if you're from Minnesota, you almost have to watch it because the coach, Herb Brooks, was from Minnesota. So you, you had to watch it. But it's, it's a good movie. It's an interesting movie. In the beginning, Herb Brooks, the coach, has to take all of these hockey players from all of these different states all around and has to get them unified in one team. But early on, there's a fight between the players, and they're fighting. And he breaks it up, and he says, who are you? Who are you? Who do you play for? And what they do is they answer and they say who they are, their, their name and the state they're from or their university or wherever they're, they're from. That's who they are. 
And so later on in this journey towards the Olympics, they play a game and they're arrogant and they, they win, but they play so poorly that the coach is just incensed. And so he makes them run drills back and forth after they've already played the game. And he's drilling them. They have to do the sprints from one side to the other, one side to the other. And he says again and again and again. And he keeps asking them, who do you play for? And they keep answering their name and the state that they're from. And finally, when they're broken down and they are exhausted and they have nothing less, he finally says, who do you play for? And one man says, I play for America. And that's a pivotal moment because now they realized that their identity was not separate, but they were unified. In a similar manner, I would ask you, who are you? Now, most of us would say, if we get that question, who are you? We would answer with our name and maybe our job or what we do or where we live. But let me make it a little bit more pointed then. What religion are you? I've asked this question of people, and people ask me, what religion are you? And people will often say, well, I'm Lutheran, I'm Catholic, I'm Methodist, I'm Episcopalian. And they go through all these things. And I say, no, 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 no. What religion are you? Because they cannot distinguish denominations between religion. You see, there's only one religion And that is as a follower of Christ. Not Lutheran or Baptist or Catholic, but of Christ. Of the gospel. And you should say, if somebody asks you who you are, you would say, I'm a sinner saved by grace through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's who I am. That's what I stand for. You see, the more, the longer I'm a pastor, the longer I'm a Christian, I understand what Paul wrote more and more to the Corinthians. He says, I want to know nothing among you other than Christ and Christ crucified. That's what I want to know. That's who I want to be. Standing firmly, rooted in the gospel, in loving him and clinging to him and clinging to his word and understanding the power of God, the mercy of God, the love of God given us in the gospel. And with this gospel, there cannot be room for error. We must be united in the truth of the gospel And in the truth of the gospel, you and I can stand united, but we cannot stand united in a lie. I belong, as you know, to a group of ministers in town, and it's very wide. It is Lutheran, it is Baptist, it's non-denominational, it's Pentecostal. We have wide, and we certainly do have differences on some things, but we stand firm in the gospel, and we do not bend one 
ounce of that. And because we stand firm in the gospel, we are united with one voice. What would it be like for the churches united in the very truth of Jesus Christ and his gospel to stand and proclaim that to the world? Who are you? What is your identity? Are you striving with one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel? And if you do this, by the way, if you strive for the faith of the gospel, be prepared because there will be suffering. Go with our text, verse 28. Do not be frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict <laughs> when you saw that you saw I had now and here that I still have. See, when you take a stand for the gospel, you must expect to receive resistance. In Paul's day, he was slandered, he was beaten, he was thrown out, he was put in jail, ultimately beheaded. You and I should expect resistance to say that you are a Christian nowadays is to actually hold yourself up now for ridicule in the greater city and culture in which we live. And yet, we are called to a different calling. You and I are not to retaliate in kind. See, when the gospel calls you, it calls you to a higher calling. And you and I are not to retaliate, retaliate in kind. Our gospel reading, you have heard it said, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. This is the call of citizenship of heaven, to be like the Father, not that we will ever be perfect here on this earth, Far from it. But that's the call. That's the walk you and I are to walk. And it's hard, isn't it? This gospel message is hard. You know, back in uh, around the late 190s, early 200s AD, there was a letter written to uh, Diognetus, and Diognetus. Uh, it was written and to a high-ranking official. Diognetus is a high-ranking pagan official, but it was written by a Christian. I'd like to read to you part of that letter because I think it uh, sums up nicely what we've been talking about. It says this, For Christians are not distinguished from the rest of mankind by country or by speech or by dress, for they do not dwell in cities of their own or use a different language or practice a peculiar life. But while they dwell in Greek or barbarian cities according to each man's lot, 
has been cast and follow the customs of the land in clothing and food and other matters of daily life. Yet, the conditions of citizenship which they exhibit is wonderful and admittedly strange. They live in countries of their own but are simply sojourners. sojourners. They share the life of citizens. They endure the lot of foreigners. They marry like the rest of the world. They breed children, but they do not discard children as some do. They offer a common table, but not a common bed. They exist in the flesh, but they live not after the flesh. They spend their existence upon earth, but their citizenship is in heaven. They obey the established laws, and in their own lives, they surpass the laws. They love all men and are persecuted by all. They are unknown and they are condemned. They are put to death and they gain new life. They are poor and make many rich. They lack everything and in everything they abound. They are dishonored and their dishonor becomes their glory. They are abused and they bless. They are insulted and repay insult with honor. They do good and are punished as evildoers. And in their punishment, they rejoice as gaining new life therein. So I guess my question when I read that is, would anybody even consider me when they were reading that letter? Would they consider you? Would they think of you when that letter is read? We are called by the gospel to a higher calling. And we do it because of the great love with which he loved us first. So there are three questions for you today. What is your identity? I mean, do you have dual citizenship or is it one citizenship only? Are you ready and willing to stand firm for the faith of the gospel message linked with brothers and sisters across the world for the gospel? And could anyone tell the difference between your manner of life and others who are not followers of Jesus? Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for the love with which you have loved us first and the gospel of Christ Jesus. We know we can only follow you through the Holy Spirit, so we ask for the Holy Spirit to enliven us, to guide us, to encourage us, to help us breathe the gospel day in, day out, standing firm and praising Jesus. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope that you've been blessed by this message. If you have any questions or you would like to grow deeper in your faith, please visit our website at joyccc.com. Again, that's joyccc.com. Dot com.